I take refuge in the Buddha, the pure, bright mind of awareness. I take refuge in the Dharma, teaching that show us the way. I take refuge in the Sangha, friends and guides along the path. This is Gratitude Sashin 2020, and it's our Friday talk, The Gift of Generosity. Welcome everyone and everyone in online. Thank you for coming to this afternoon. The other day I spoke about the heart that we assign to the core or the deepest parts of our lives or practice. We often use words like the heart of the city or the heart of darkness, heartwood. And I like the image of the heart of our practice being our physical heart, divided into four chambers with the heart of wisdom and the heart of compassion at the top and the heart of gratitude and the heart of generosity at the bottom. We've been exploring the heart of gratitude. And now I'd like to look at the chamber, the heart chamber, and explore the heart of generosity. And since we know that our pumping hearts are not in the shape of the symbolic Valentine heart, I would like to bring your attention to the fact that the pumping heart's true shape is that of a lotus bud. And so this image of a lotus bud, imagine that as in your heart. Is it dormant? Is it encased in protection? Or is it rooting and be growing and beginning to bloom? If it has been protected and waiting for the right causes and conditions for growth, is, that, is it not the time right now to allow the fall rains to melt this outer protection and allow this bud of the Dharma to flower within you? To allow the roots to connect through the, throughout the body and into the earth of this lotus flower. And then this lotus bud in the form of the heart can open as it says in the chant that we've been chanting in the evening, Tori Zenji's, if we awaken to ourselves this deep, pure faith, offering humble words and taking sincere refuge in the Buddha, then with every thought there will, be, there will bloom a lotus flower, each a Buddha. So imagine that lotus bud in your, as your heart. And you can carry, you'll carry it with you always. And that lotus bud blooms. Wherever it blooms, there will be a Buddha. You. But in order to, to allow this heart lotus to bloom, we need to look a little closer at generosity. Read a couple passages about generosity. 
Generosity First. This is from Tanisro Biku, who's a Thai forest monk and has done a lot of translation of the Pali Canon and practiced for many generations, for many decades. He was talking about being an interpreter for um, a person who was giving a retreat who came from uh, Burma, I believe. And he said that he wondered why Americans were so grim when they were meditating. They were like, ah. So he, had, he attributed this grimness to the fact that most people, people here in the West come to Buddhist meditation without any preparation in Buddhist training. They've had no experience in being generous in line with the Buddhist teachings on giving or experience in developing virtue in line with Buddha's precepts. They come to these, this, the Buddha's teachings without having tested them in daily life. And so they don't have a sense of confidence that they need to, that they need to get them through the hard parts of meditation. So they just you know, rely on sure determination. So in, the, in Southeast Asia, meditation, virtue, and generosity are taught in exact kind of opposite order than we teach them. Because children are taught generosity. Children are taught precepts. And then, as you become an adult, you may learn meditation. Here, we've come to meditation as adults, many of us, anyhow. Then, after we've struggled for a long time, they go, oh, you should also maybe learn the precepts. <laughs> oh, you should learn about generosity. So we're like backwards. So it doesn't give us so much confidence in this kind of counterintuitive way that um, these teachings are presented. The idea that you gain happiness by giving things away don't come automatically to a young child's mind, and probably not to an adult's mind either. But with practice, you find that it's true. The idea that you gain happiness by giving away things, or sharing. But in reality, what it does is the gift is proof that you have more than, you need, than enough. You're able to help other people. The act of giving also creates a sense of spaciousness in the mind because of the world we live in is created by our actions and the act of giving creates a spacious world, a world where generosity is, in oper is the operating principle, a world where people have more than enough and enough to share. Then we're children are exposed to the precepts. And again, from maybe a child's point of view, they don't seem like the way to operate, to get what you want. So perhaps when you want to take something, you want something that isn't yours, or when you want to cover up some kind of an embarrassment or a mistake that you made, so you don't get criticized. So those but then you realize, if you're taught the precepts, and you're taught to not to steal, but respect the things of others, and not to lie, but to speak the truth, with practice, you learn that that is a way to navigate 
amongst your family and amongst friends, and it creates more happiness and no remorse. So then by the time you come to meditation, you've already seen that the Buddha's teachings, maybe they are true, they work for you. And so then meditation might be a little more, um, you may have more faith in the, the teachings of meditation. The whole idea that happiness has, has to consist either in doing things only for your own selfish motive, motive or for other people to the sacrifice of yourself, this dichotomy is something very Western. But it's really not part of the Buddhist teachings. True happiness is something that, by its nature, gets spread around. By working for your own true benefit, you're working for the benefits of others. And by working for the benefits of others, you're working for your own benefit. So it's not like we haven't ever learned about generosity and sharing. We just may not have realized that it's such an important part of our spiritual practice. It's essential. It's foundational for progress on the way. So you might just think for a moment a time when you really felt good about giving something to someone or sharing something. Did you give just the right gift to someone? Did you remember someone on a day that is important to them? Perhaps you held your tongue or didn't give an opinion at a certain pivotal moment and it allowed peace instead of being right. These are all forms of generosity. Can you remember how you learned to share and give? Who taught you those first lessons? Why was it important to share or give? To get along, to be part of the group, for harmony? Or was there just something intrinsically happy about sharing? If our inner critic doesn't step in, the feeling of giving is pure happiness. Generosity, the feeling that supports true giving, temporar temporarily releases us from the pain of separation caused by selfishness or con constant self-centered views. So in our practice, we often talk about letting go. So generosity is an ideal starting point in learning how to let go of self-centeredness and seeing that a deep joy can come from releasing whatever it is you're holding on to too tightly at any given moment. Without generosity, the mind is confined to a small, narrow view where me and mine are predominant, where me and mine rules. So generosity is, throughout the 
Buddhist literature. And one of the main places it's found is in the precepts and in the paramitas. And the paramitas are teachings found in both Mahayana and Theravadan Buddhist traditions. The Chinese character for paramita means crossing over to the other shore. Sometimes it's called the perfections, but I like this crossing over to the other shore. And one way we can look at this is what, that we're crossing over from the shore of greed, anger, and ignorance. We wish to cross over to the shore of well-being and liberation and freedom. And we make that journey through the practice of the paramitas, which can be a part of our daily practice, along with our daily zazen. So the first one is generosity or dana. The other ones are ethical living, patience, diligence, meditative concentration, and wisdom. Pretty familiar, but very worth investigating, each one of those. So they're the, the practices we should, these are the qualities and the practices to incorporate as we walk or bike or sail from one shore to the other or towards liberation. They are the practices of the bodhisattvas. So the first practice, dana, first practice, is giving or offering generosity. And it doesn't mean just money, although it can mean money. It's kind of a materialist way to look at dana. So there's many ways to give and many ways to be generous. But I, this is an interesting little um, story about how dana was viewed in the Buddhist times. It's well known that dana lies at the beginning of the Buddhist practice. It quite literally has kept the Dharma alive over the past 2,500 years. If it wasn't for the Indian tradition of giving to mendicants, the Buddha would have never had the opportunity to explore and find the path of awakening. The monastic Sangha wouldn't have had the time and opportunity to follow his way. And Dana is the first teaching in the graduated discourse, the list of topics the Buddha used to lead listeners step by step to an appreciation of the Four Noble Truths. And often from there to the first taste of awakening. So in starting the basic principles of karma, he would begin with this statement. There is what is given. There is what is given. And that, that sounds kind of odd. <laughs> I don't know what that means. There is what is given. So he's making this statement. It's not an obvious truth or a plat general platitude. But actually, the, the um, idea of giving was pretty controversial at the time of the Buddha. 
Because for centuries, the Brahmin, Brahmins of India had extolled the virtues of giving, as long as the gifts were given to them. <laughs> they were obligatory. People of other castes, if they didn't uh, concede to the Brahmins to ban for gifts, were neglecting the most essential social duties. And so, of course, you could imagine that that brought a certain amount of backlash when, when uh, people were either able to gather and, and think about this on their own. And there are several contemplative movements called samanas during Buddhist times. And they kind of counter claim this uh, assertion that no, about the, there is virtue to giving. They said, there are, so there were two camps, two arguments. And one claimed that there's no virtue because there's no afterlife. A person was nothing more than physical elements that, after death, returned to their respective spheres. That was it. Giving thus provided no long-term results. And then the other camp stated that there was no such thing as giving, for everything in the universe has been determined by fate. If a donor gives something to another person, it's not really a gift, for the donor had no choice or free will in the matter. Fate was simply working itself out. So maybe you fall into one of those camps. So when the Buddha, in his introduction to teaching on karma, said, that is what is given. There is what is given. He was saying, you're both wrong. He said, the principle of, he took the principle of freedom one step further. Oh, sorry, the Buddha's teaching says that it does give results, both now and in the future. And it's the result of the donor's free choice. So do you feel you have free choice when you're giving? But then the Buddha took it one more step further, and he said that it should be given wherever the complete freedom wherever the mind feels inspired. So aside from paying the debt to your parents, there is no obligation to give. This means that the choice to give is an act of true freedom. Thus, it's a perfect place to start on the path of total release. No obligation. You should give where you feel, the, where you want to give. Where the mind feels inspired. Ayakema has some nice words on, uh, or interesting words on genero um, generosity. Aya came as a, she died in mm, the late 1990s, was born in Germany, was, a, was Jewish, 
and lived in Nazi Germany and was um, sent away as a child to Scotland and then reunited with her family and eventually came to the United States and lived in Australia and later in life became a Theravada nun and did a lot for women, lots for women in Buddhist world. She has lots of great talks and she went back to Germany and built several places, started different organizations. Anyhow, her, but her, her teaching is very straightforward. She says generosity, on, generos on generosity. The spiritual qualities we need to cultivate start with generosity. The one at the top of the list, she's looking at the list of the paramitas, is the one that opens the door. It doesn't mean that the others are less important, but unless the first one has been cultivated, that particular pathway has not opened up yet. We have to open a path somewhere, and it's this first step, or the first quality, that gives us our start. So we open the door of generosity. The Buddha talked about three kinds of generosity. The beggar type, beggarly type, the friendly type, and the princely or kingly kind. The beggarly kind of generosity is when one gives away what one doesn't want anyhow. So you know, I'm giving my stuff to goodwill. <laughs> Things that are cluttering up your house, you don't want it. You want to tidy up. Giving away those things are better than nothing. But it isn't very generous. Because one is not diminishing one's own wants and attachments in any way. The friendly kind of generosity occurs when we share what we have. We share it with many people as com who come into our orbit maybe organizations, maybe people. We give away evenly, keeping some for ourselves and giving away some. And the princely kind is when we give away more than we keep. She says, pretty rare, huh? <laughs> Most people don't do that. But giving needs to have the right motivation behind it. If one gives in order to get whatever one is after, merit, appreciation, or gratitude, it doesn't work. It's a contradiction in terms. One doesn't give in order to get. Well, sometimes that happens, but it's not like the same meaning that she's talking about. That's what, when we talked about quid pro quo, that's like, I'm going to give you this and you're going to give me in return something. That's a negotiated ahead of time. But this isn't the same kind of, this kind of giving is different. One doesn't give in order, give in order to get. You don't, so we're not giving to get something. One gives in order to give to have the opportunity to give. 
Only when one investigates this and inquires into it does one see that quite clearly. If one gives in order to give, one is certain to get, namely happiness, satisfaction, peace of mind, contentment. One may give more, may, one may give because one feels that others, one may give because one feels that others need it, need to share in one's own wealth and prosperity. One may give because there's compassion in your heart. Buddha, the Buddha gave out of compassion. The Buddha gave his dharma out of compassion. That way of giving has gain in it in an interesting way. The more one gives out of compassion, the more compassion one necessarily has to have. It's obvious and logical. Yet hardly anyone considers that aspect. Some people give to gain goodwill from others. But the more one gives out of the goodness of one's heart, the more goodness one obviously must have. So how much goodness do you have in your heart? To give in the Buddhist context, first of all, means to offer joy and happiness, love and kindness. It's often said the greatest gift is the gift of the Dharma, which we're given, being given right now in this sashin from everyone. But we may wonder, how do we give the gift of the Dharma in our daily lives with friends, family, who may not be familiar with the Dharma or may even have aversion to this line of thinking? So then we have to think, what is it? The gift, what is this gift of the Dharma? It not, it's not necessarily just teachings. There's many other ways to actualize the Dharma and give that as a gift. So one of the greatest gifts we can give is our true presence. We all know of examples where we want to be with someone. We want them to be fully present. A parent with a child, friends, partners, can you give that gift to be fully present without interference or interruptions, without cell phones? <laughs> Can you give your divided, undivided presence? That is a great gift. What else can you give? And give our ability to listen deeply not to be shocked or dismayed or upset by what we hear. 
to be able to bear witness. We can give stability. We practice developing a stable mind during session. We look at our reactivity. We practice stability with mindful walking, breathing, movement, work, eating. We appreciate living authentically in every moment. We try to. And we're not easily thrown off by the winds of the world. In that way, we can give stability, the gift of stability. We can give freedom, freedom from afflictions. Happiness is not possible without freedom from afflictions. These afflictions being difficult emotions such as craving and anger, jealousy and fear, misguided perceptions. As we practice returning to the present moment, we can touch into this wonder of life in this very moment, being satisfied with what is wonderfully offered. As we loosen our ties and explore the poisons of anger and greed, then we can be a person of less affliction. And we can give that gift to our friends and family. We can give the gift of freshness or aliveness, breathing in and breathing out, opening the heart, letting go. Our aliveness comes forth. It's given, given freely. Peace. When we sit next to a peaceful person, we can actually feel that aura of peacefulness. We benefit from others' peaceful existence in calm ways. We can offer that to others. We can offer no fear or welcoming, a place of safety. Heart of Wisdom, we have a, there's a Buddha there with the hand gesture like this, which is no fear. Come in. This is a safe spot. Welcoming everyone. We can offer the gift of understanding. So we look deeply into our own actions and deeply into the world around us. We can focus our attention on one thing at a time allowing insights to arise and lessen our fixed views. Offering true understanding will help eliminate suffering for ourselves and others. We can offer space. People we love need space in which to grow. We can give them the gift of space, allowing them to grow and flourish to become their own unique Buddha person. We can offer wisdom. 
not advice or fixing things. But in the Buddhist teaching, the highest form of generosity is to give your wisdom, both in words and your behavior. When you help a friend make a good decision, you see both sides of a problem, take a broader view, you're offering wisdom. When others see you as a skillful role model, you're sharing wisdom. Whatever your role is, you can offer your wisdom if you act with kindness, speak truthfully, and consider what is best for others and yourself. You can offer attention and respect. Offering respect and good wishes or simple politeness is a gift. A way to practice this is offering respectful attention to everyone you meet or talk to. Take the other person's point of view. Let other people have an important role. Don't take all the limelight. Even if you don't see a smile, offer one. Just notice how that makes you feel. These gifts, these practices of generosity cost nothing. Well, that's not exactly true. They do cost something. They cost the dropping away of self-involvement, dropping away of our self-centered views. But they work like medicine to help those suffering. And at the same time, they alleviate our own suffering. So gifts come in all forms. It may be surprising. Here's a gift from one of our Sangha members in Portland. A prose given freely with the intention to help others. She wrote it last week and said I could share it however I saw fit. It's on mindfulness. I was halfway through eating a dish of ice cream when I realized I was not really eating ice cream. Well, my body was going through the motions of eating, but my mind was worried, worried, worrying about catching coronavirus and dying alone in a hospital. I missed out on the first half of a delicious treat. My oncologist told me women with my stage of cancer have an average lifespan of three years. How will I live my life? Will I be there while I'm typing? Will I be there while I go for walks or talk to my partner or watch the squirrel outside the window? 
Will I be here while I eat ice cream? I noticed things started to shift since my diagnosis two months ago. One change is a large presence of gentleness. Maybe it's the side effects of chemo drugs. But I just don't have the same energy for self-criticism when I forget to practice. If my mind tenses up and fixates on fear, that's okay. I pause and give myself love and come back. Here is life. Here is life. Here is life. This is it. The second half of the ice cream was sweet and cool on my tongue. Thought it was such a precious gift to us all. I wanted to share it. The Buddha also gave some specific instructions on how to give a gift. And how is a person of integrity, a person of integrity in the way he gives a gift? There is a case where a person of integrity gives a gift attentively, with his own hands, respectfully, not as if throwing it away, with the view that something will come of it. This is how a person of integrity is a person of integrity in the way of giving a gift. If you, if you accept this advice, then the way the gift is given may be just as important as the gift itself. giving in person, with your own hands, brings meaning to the word connection. Giving with an understanding that something of value is happening and that good actions bring good results enriches the experience for both parties. A person with, of integrity gives the gift with integrity, with his own hands or, you know, as close to your own hands, respectfully, not throwing it away, just here, take this. But the view, with the view that something will come of it. It's often said that the greatest gift is the gift of the Dharma. So these 
are many ways we can give, and I've been thinking myself about what is the greatest gift that I can give. And I came up that actually, it's just what the teaching tells us to do, untangling the ego, or at least having a more flexible ego is a great gift that we can all give to ourselves and others. Using gratitude and generosity to help untangle our self-centered tendencies by making positive connections with other humans, with other sentient beings, and maybe with all non-sentient beings too. Connecting in ways of caring, concern, reciprocity, is a way of touching into the interconnectedness of all things. Unloosening the hold on this separate self allows us to travel the path of liberation together. I'm gonna leave you with two things. I have one thing here, but I'm gonna read the second mindfulness training that Thich Nhat Hanh proposes on generosity. Aware of the suffering caused by exploitation, social injustice, stealing, and oppression, I am committed to cultivating loving kindness and learning ways to work with the well-being for all people, animals, plants, and minerals. I will practice generosity by sharing my time, energy, and natural resources with those who are in real need. I am determined not to steal and not to possess anything that should belong to others. I will respect the property of others, but I will prevent others from profiting from human suffering or the suffering of other species on earth. A way to practice generosity. I'm leaving you with these last words that the Buddha, my last words, not the last words of the Buddha, but I think they're very provocative. This is a very provocative um, statement. He said, oh monks, he's talking to everyone, if people knew, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they would not eat without having given or they would not allow the stain of stinginess to obsess them and take root in their minds. Even if it were their last morsel, their last mouthful, they would not eat without having shared it, if there is someone to share it with. But monks, as people do not know, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they eat without having given, and the stain of stinginess obsesses them and takes roots in their mind, takes root in their mind. O oh, monks, if people knew as I knew the result of giving and sharing, they would not eat without having given, nor would they allow the stain or stinginess to obsess them and take root in their minds. We could take, look at that as literal, literally as food. And that's pretty, that's profound in itself. But we could also look at this as a quote 
at this quote as the food of the Dharma, the nourishment that you get from the practice. That we would not just take this practice for ourselves, but we would share it with others. This nourishment that we get needs to be passed along. And there's many ways that we can share it. According to the Buddhist teaching, true happiness is something that by its nature gets spread and around. By its nature needs to be spread. So please continue to explore this heart of generosity and spread the happiness of the Dharma through the wonderful gifts, the gifts, the gift of the Dharma and the gift of generosity. Thank you.